0: The reading today is from Luke chapter 14 verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnorm- abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent so, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid." But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquets.
1: If you were to uh, jump on a plane and land in the city of Boston where we lived for three years and if you went to the west side of the common you would see a bar a restaurant that for 11 years and for 11 seasons there was a famous TV show that was, well it was said to be filmed there, it was actually in a studio, but they used the outside, it was, it's a bar, a restaurant called Cheers it was a great TV show that every single week, week in, week out um, there was the postman there was the barman, there was the, uh, the barman's helper, there was a different group of people that came in and shared a glass of ice cold Budweiser, or something else like that Eleven years, eleven seasons, and the premise of the TV program was, we need friends. And more importantly than the name of the bar was the theme tune of the TV program. Wouldn't it be great to go to a place where everybody knows your name? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That was the the premise of the TV program. And so whatever the week was, the postman came in and he got a a glass of Budweiser, he got a mug of coffee, and they poured out their hearts, and there was banter, there was humor, there was life-sharing. Each one of us longs for that. Each one of us longs to be, not just have friends, we long to be known. You can ask anybody. You can ask the middle-aged mum, you can ask a senior... You can ask somebody with pots of cash that has a membership of David Lloyd that goes to the, the Derby every single year. Wherever we live in the Epsom and New, wherever we live in the world, one thing is common. We long to be known. And not just for our names to be known. We long to be known, but we also long to have somebody, at least one person to whom we can share our hearts, our deepest longings, our greatest fears. We long to be known. It's the cry of the human heart, regardless of whether you're a teenager here this morning, whether you're reaching a a senior golden age of life, I say respectfully. We long to be known, and not just our name. We want to share our hearts. What is interesting is that as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four camera angles that different people recorded the events, and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ as he walked the earth, as he got dust in his toes as a real person 2,000 years ago, each one of these gospel accounts, they record the truth that as God sent his son Jesus, as Jesus, who was man and God, walked the earth, that's exactly what he came to do. He came to reconcile rebels to his father by dying. He came to make a way back to his father for people who said, I don't want to live according to your rules. He came not just to make people aware of their need of a savior, not just to rescue people. He came to invite people to a table. He came to invite people to a celebration, to a feast. It is really interesting to me that the first miracle that Jesus Christ did, the first sign, the first showcase of his glory, it was really surprising. In John chapter two, it's at a wedding. Jesus could have shown his glory in many ways, but he rocks up at a wedding where the wine's getting a little bit low, and he makes not just good wine, he makes the greatest wine. He makes this ordinary party into the feast that no one will ever forget. It would have gone throughout the internet 2,000 years ago. It would have gone viral if that's even a word, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus Christ made the best wine, he made the best food. And that theme runs throughout the whole Bible and it's picked up in the Gospels and it's just Jesus Christ's first miracle because he's making this big display of, I'm not here to just check that you stay in line. That's not what Christianity is about. I'm not here to make sure you just dot all the I's, cross all the T's, you keep all the rules, you look right. That's not what Christianity is about at all. God is not a heavenly schoolmaster who just ticks when you have a good day and gives you a cross when you have a bad day. It's not scoring points. It's not stickers on a wall. Jesus Christ, on behalf of his Father, invites us to a wedding feast. He invites us to be around his table. He invites us to the best celebration there has ever been and there will ever be. It's going to be in the future. But it's possible to be part of it now if you respond to his invitation. Luke's been telling us about the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in verse 15 of this passage, responds to somebody who says, hey, you know what it's going to be like? He shouts out, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. That's a way of saying he's going to be around this table, he's going to be part of this God-centered, God-given, God-provided party with the best food, with the best wine, and the best host that you can ever imagine. And Jesus says, you're right, verse 15, you're to something. You are right that it's going to be great to be part of the Feast of the kingdom of God. Because when you go to a party, when you go to a feast with the best wine, with the best food I'm salivating already, you can tell, maybe even a ha- I feel like a hamburger this morning. Coffee, there's endless supplies of coffee. When you go to a party like that, it quells your hunger for a few hours, for a day or two. Then you want a bit of toast when you get home, something plain when you get to my age, a bit of cheese. But this feast, this party, is going to go on forever. And it's going to satisfy not just your hunger longing, your spiritual longing, your emotional need, you'll never be emotionally hungry again. Your spiritual hunger is going to be satisfied. Your relational hunger is going to be satisfied. And it's all based on the kingdom of God. And God says, oh, I'm going to provide everything, I'm going to pay for everything. And it's there in Luke 14. Luke 14. And it begins with an invitation, an invitation to the feast that beats all feasts. If you've got a Bible and you look back at Luke 13, verse 22, Jesus is on a journey. He's on, he's set his face towards Jerusalem. And Luke provides for us seven accounts, seven interactions that Jesus has with people who come and ask him questions. It's really interesting. And they're all describing to some degree what the kingdom of God is like. Different aspects of what the kingdom of God will be like. So in chapter 13, verse 23, someone comes and says, hey, how many people are going to be saved? Chapter 14, verse 3, is it okay for you to heal people on the Sabbath or not? Those sorts of questions, people come to Jesus wanting to understand or to catch him out. And Jesus says, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. He says it's a feast. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. All these events happen on the same day. Jesus is invited to a really pucker dinner party. He's been invited to the home of a really prominent person, a somebody. Not a nobody, this is a somebody. This is a, a Rolls-Royce driving, waitrose shopping, publicly school-educated somebody living not this side of the railway tracks, but on the downside. This is that sort of person. It's a big supper with lots of guests, verse 7 he noticed the guests were beginning to pick places of honour at the table. Now, this is a very common thing. It's a typical kind of supper party, a networking community. Verse 12, Jesus has the audacity to say to the host, look, when you give a luncheon, sounds like something from Downton Abbey, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. Do not invite your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours. In other words, that's the people that were already there. This is a meal for somebodies, not for nobodies. This is the social elite. These are people with uh, chinos on and checky shirts. <laughs> this is posh people. Anyone who did not fit that criteria, they were pushed to one side. They were not invited. Now, it's widely recognised that what was going on here, what Lucas recorded for us, is a common practice in the uh, Greco-Roman world. The Greco-Roman world at the time that Jesus walked the earth, it operated on a patronage uh, system, so that if you were a, a nobody who wanted to become a somebody, you would need to find a patron if you were an artist, an up-and-coming artist, if you were a carpenter, the only way that you would get business, the only way that you would make a buck, the only way you could climb the social ladder is if you were to find yourself a patron. It's how the the whole of the Roman Empire worked. But if you found yourself the right patron, somebody with standing, somebody with money, somebody who was near the kind of the nexus, the apex of the social order rather than the, the bottom, rather than the dust they were near the top, if you found the right somebody, they would be the key for your increase in social standing. They would be the key for you to get political favours, social favours, economic favours, work, uh, employment, contracts could be opened up, doors would be opened up. That would not be possible for you without the patron. And that's what's happening here. This somebody, verse 1, the rule of the Pharisees, we're watching him carefully, is invited to this uh, plush, luscious banquet. But the purpose is to invite a group of somebodies around the table, and they're fighting to say who can get nearest the host. Because he was the ultimate somebody, and the closer you got to him, the more likely your standing would increase. That's how it would work. It's networking, first century style. Trying to move up the ladder, you get close to the host. And so what Luke and what Jesus is showing to us is this is not simply a regular meal going on. This is not just your thirst buds being quenched and your hunger's being satisfied. There's a greater thing going on, and that is nobody's trying to become somebody's. And so Jesus comes along and says, verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours the people you want to rub shoulders with, the people you want to influence, the people you want to use really to get on the next rung of the ladder. Because if you do, verse 12, if you do, they will invite you back and then you will repay and the system will continue to work in that way. Verse 13, my disciples, this is how I want you to operate. Here's what I want you to do. When you give a banquet, verse 13, I want you to invite the poor, I want you to invite the crippled and the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. It's this section of Luke's Gospel from chapter 10 through to chapter 14, 15, where Jesus has a lot of teaching of what it means to be a Christian follower, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And he says, you've got to be different from the people you rub shoulders with. When you throw a party, it needs to have different invitation criteria. When I was at university there was a series of student parties, and can I just put a premise on this? Never let out your properties to students. Uh, There's a series of student parties and it got into a bit of one-upmanship. I've been told that I have a slightly strong competitive spirit, I can compete about absolutely anything, with anyone, just ask my five-year-old. But this was about parties, so these parties were getting bigger, they were getting more fun, they were getting more silly. And so I said to my two friends, right, this is our opportunity. So what we did, we cleared out three rooms in our house. We put down plastic. We got our hands on two tons of building sand and we laid it four inches thick throughout these three rooms. This is a true story. Everything I say is true. This is especially true. We got um, some sheets and we painted Hawaiian landscapes and we hung them up from the walls. There's a picture of me with fake tan on and a grass skirt, we, we did the whole thing, Hawaiian shirts the lot, because we wanted our party to be the most memorable, the most memorable, and the best. When you throw a party, that's just what you want, isn't it? Kids' parties are just an excuse for us to kind of live vicariously and to make other people feel bad, and we invite people who we know are easy to talk to, those who are not, we don't invite. When we're having a dinner party, It's easy to choose those who are easy to make conversations with, not those who are hard. We'll leave them off the invitation list. And Jesus is saying, one of the signs that you're a disciple of mine is no one-upmanship. You have a heart for other people. You have a heart for those in need. When you throw a party, when you give a banquet, don't operate the way the world does, Jesus says to his disciples. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Invite those in need. Have a care for those socially different from yourselves. It's so easy to invite those people that we know will be easy and polite and not awkward. And in this wonderful little story, this little vinaigrette, this little parable, Jesus reminds us of the whole of the gospel. The gospel is for everybody. It's for young and old, it's for black and white. It's for those with mental health issues and those who don't struggle in that area. Those who are struggling with addiction and those who've got it licked, or at least it it looks like we have. Those who are struggling with sexual orientation, you ought to be part of the kingdom of God, you're welcome. But all too easy, we just draw nice, neat boundaries and we want people to look a certain way. And Jesus is saying, my invitation is for all people. The gospel is for all people it's the invitation to the table but then there's the responses secondarily there's the responses that come in verses 17 and into verse 18 one of the things that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like is that it is not a restaurant at a restaurant you pay or your parents pay it's not a potluck dinner where you bring something it's not a bring and share This is the table that has already been prepared. God provides everything, and God provides the best. God is a generous God. He's a good father and a generous God and a wonderful host. And so this story reminds us of a different aspect of the kingdom of God, where God provides everything. We bring nothing. God provides it all. Everything is completely prepared for you. The table is set. It's prepaid by God's graciousness. And only one thing is required for you to be at this table. And that is a humble acceptance of the invitation. The only thing that is required for you to be at this table, to be at the feast that will supersede all feasts, the party that will be better than any party, is humility. That's the only thing that's required. Historians tell us that when a host would send out, when he wanted to open up his home and and, uh, organise a banquet, he would send out two sets of invitations. We see that in this story. Two sets of invitations would be sent out. The first one would go out and say, I'm throwing a banquet, can you come? If you responded yes, then you would receive a second invitation that would say, now everything is ready. But you would only receive that if you responded positively the first time. If you, if you said, no, you can't come, you wouldn't get the message, now everything is ready. And that's what we see here. Look down at verse 16 and verse 17. The invitations are sent out, but then the excuses are made. These people received the first invitation and they said, yes, we will come. But then when the host says, verse 17, everything is ready, the plates are warm. the table's laid... The seats are there. The marquee's been put up. The band's going to play later on. They began to make their excuses. They all find ways of weaseling out of the invitation that they said yes to. So, what will the master do? Does he ever huff? Does he pull out the tablecloth? Does he throw everything away? Now we see something of the host, verse 21. He sends out his servants to say, I want you to compel, I want you to urge, I want you to grab people by the hem, I want you to look people in the eye, needy people, people who are a bit rough around the edges, people who are uh, on the outside of society, I want you to bring them in to my house. I want them to sit at my table. I don't care if they've not had a wash for a while, I don't care if they don't know social convention, they are to be on the best seats of my table, outsiders coming in. these excuses are made people who thought that being part of God's kingdom would disrupt their normal lives these people who thought uh, that being part of God's kingdom being part of this uh, wedding banquet would disrupt their dreams and disrupt their goals so they said no we don't want to come I've just bought some cattle actually I'm just going to get married and other excuses the more they came And what it reveals is a stubbornness of spirit, verse 18 to 20, a stubbornness of spirit, a a willful disobedience, a willful no to the host. I know I said yes, but now I understand more. I'm not going to come. I've got something more important that I want to attend to, something more important on my agenda. And this parable, this story, shows us something that history proves. If you uh, look back beyond the 21st century and further back, that is, the closer you are to the pinnacle of society, the more you are a have than a have-not, the more education you have, the more uh, vocation you enjoy, the more educational background and (laughs) privileges you have, the more class you enjoy, as in the higher echelon you have, the more you are a have than a have-not, the more, in all probability, you will find the message of Christianity too uh, much of a pill to swallow. That's a trend. If you look throughout history, if you look where the gospel has thrived, if you look where the church has grown, more often than not, it's with the have-nots than the haves. More often than not, the gospel has exploded with the social underclasses than those of privilege. More often than not, not always, but more often than not, more often than not, God's grace is accepted. The need of salvation, the understanding that we are rebels before a holy God is accepted by those in need socially and practically and financially. Those who are poor and oppressed, who long for justice, more often than not find it far easier to understand a God who promises justice in the future if we don't experience it in this world today. You speak to people about the holiness of God. You speak to people about the the reality that a day is coming where King Jesus will return to judge the world. You speak to people about the fact that we are sinners who need a savior and we cannot save ourselves. We We are rebels who need rescuing and we can't rescue ourselves. If you say that to people, especially those in the higher echelons of society, they find it very, very unpalatable, very hard to understand, very easy to reject. Any other uh, philosophy, any other religion is far easier to accept if you are of a, a higher class and more of a, an upper class understanding of the world. You're used to your rights. You're used to being able to buy your ways out of situations. You're used to being a person of influence. And now the gospel comes and says, actually, we're all level. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank or how little you've got. We all need rescuing. We all need a savior. We all need Jesus. We see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus saying, it's not the healthy you need a sick, it's the doctor. Doctor? Try that again. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. There we go. It's, uh, Jesus comes and he subverts everything. He t- turns social conventions on their head. And we'll see that in Epsom and in Yule as well. Here's the message, friends. God in Jesus has provided a way to sufficiently deal with our sin completely. Our sin is not the problem, it's our pride. God lovingly invites us all into his kingdom. All we need to do is to humbly accept his son as he draws us to himself. But our own self-righteousness, our own priorities, our own agendas can get in the way. And excuses can be made and the invitation can be refused. It's as if uh, the Queen invited you to the main stand yesterday and says, you're going to have the best seat in the house watching the horse racing, and I'm going to invite you to come and you can have a meal with a Michelin-star chef. Uh, I'm going to lay on a limo to come pick you up, and you've got unlimited spending. And you said, that's great. I'm just going to go home and have three pot noodles first, and i see if I can come along. And you you insult the host, saying, actually, I'd rather stay at home and have toast. I'll make my own way. I'll come up on the bus and then walk the last bit. You insult the host because you don't understand the generosity of the host. And people do that. And so in verse 21, having rejected the gracious advance of the host, the host rightly responds with anger, saying, enough's enough. If you want to make those excuses, if you refuse my generosity, if you uh, react negatively to my benevolence, then that's enough. You can no longer come. Go out and compel people to come in. It's an invitation, it's a response to the host's graciousness. And then we see verses 21 to 24. We see the grace of God. Again and again we see the grace of God, verses 21 to 24. History tells us that God in his graciousness chose a people, the Jewish nation, the Israelites. Time and again, all throughout history, God in his benevolence came again and again and again, and yet they rejected him repeatedly. Then he said from the throne room of heaven, I know what i do, I'll send my own son. And on the whole, almost all of them rejected Jesus again. They made their excuses They said they'd rather crucify him than submit to his rule. The most spiritually blessed people in the whole of human history rejected God's greatest blessing. And so what would God do? God chose to invite the spiritual outcasts. He chose to go out to the hedges and the alleys. He chose to invite the Gentiles in, in addition to a few of the Jews. He chose to invite the spiritually homeless Gentiles into the banquet of his grace. The spiritual lame, the crippled, the poor. He said, come on in and enjoy the banquet that I've prepared for you. Now, I want to rub this in. Friends, a church that gets this, like us, I hope, a church that understands this aspect of the kingdom of God, that it's not rule-keeping, it's not church attendance, that there is a banquet, there is a feast coming, and it's going to be the most wonderful thing that we can ever scarcely imagine. If we grasp that, we will be a church that creatively, with an enduring spirit, with imagination, there's going to be a relentless push from our hearts towards people in need, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally there's going to be an overflow of an understanding of the grace of god that's going to change us and we're going to want to impact people in the locality we're going to see that as a church corporately we're going to be reminded that the church is not a cruise ship we're not here for our comfort it is a lifeboat and we're here to see people added to this number and we do almost whatever it takes to encourage people to come in We're not concerned about our own face, our own value. We're deeply concerned about our neighbours. We're deeply concerned about people that don't know Jesus. So we invite them in. We're not a hospital. So rather we are a hospital. We're not a museum. We're not a static plant. We're on mission. And I wonder if we're losing that just six months old. We're becoming too comfortable. We are more of a cruise ship than a mission agency. I wonder. Personally, If we grasp this, actually it humbles us. If we understand that this is about a feast, we're not going to be running away from people that are different from us. We're not going to be running away from those who are more well off than us, who live in a different postcode to us, that have different opportunities to us, whether that be greater or lesser. This reminds us that underneath our uh, level of respectability, we are all sinners. We are all people in need of grace, and the first thing we want to do is to hold up that grace to other people, to take the mask off, to allow allow people to see beneath our uh, sphere of respectability, to see under our power and our morality, to see under our education, and to say we are what we are because of Jesus. There was a couple I met once who sought to put this into practice. There was a young boy called Aaron, and uh, he needed to get to the youth group that they were a part of. Aaron had a really hard upbringing. Once he didn't turn up, so they went to his home and uh, it was uh, wallpaper peeling off the wall. His clothes literally were in bin liners and there was uh, a mattress, they told me, on the floor for his bed. Very, very difficult upbringing. And so they decided from that uh, time on that they would get home from work and they would get some food down their uh, throats, but only after they have gone and got him. They would get him, bring them back to his house, they'd have a meal together, they would take him to the youth group and then they would take him home. It was costly, physically, emotionally. They were tired at the end of the week, but they wanted to provide for somebody in need. And they had a deep concern, they told me, for somebody who had a need emotionally, practically, economically, but the main reason they wanted to help him because of a spiritual need, he was spiritually poor. Friends, the most concerning thing for me as I looked at this is that it revealed my own heart. If these words get under your skin, this great banquet, not only do we see the generosity of the host, but my heart is not to include people who are different from me. That's hard work. That's inconvenient. That's costly. Friends, do you have a heart like that couple to reach out to those in need? It will take your time, it will take your energy, it will be difficult, you will be misunderstood, you will be hurt. Do you have a heart for those in need? When we look at the mission of Jesus, we see that there are no social, economical boundaries that he refused to cross. And so when we see him, we see our great example, Jesus mixed with the rich and the poor, the young and the old, those who were acceptable in the social uh, echelons of community and those who weren't. But friends, as you look in your heart, who are you most like? Are you like the host who is generous, benevolent, kind? Do you draw lines in social settings that are easy for you or do you cross the boundaries because the grace of God is been made much of in your heart non-christian friend this invitation is time bonded this host is a picture of of god's character sending his son out from the throne room of heaven to seek people to search and look for people who would never look for him but let me ask you directly if you reject jesus's invitation today if you keep on rejecting it through your life Why should this host keep giving you another chance to repent, to say sorry, to come to him? It doesn't matter how far away you are this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace, his power, his generosity is sufficient. You're never too wicked, you're never too respectable. You don't have to clean yourself up. God provides absolutely everything in his son. And so the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's never too late. No one's too wicked. And it's all a picture of the kingdom of God, this feast into eternity. God provides everything. And all we need to do is respond and accept his invitation through his son. And all you need for that is humility. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this wonderful picture that reminds us that the gospel is for all people. Forgive me for wanting to draw lines to assess people about how costly the relationship will be. Forgive me for when I've looked at my watch when conversations have gone on. Forgive me for when the need appears too great and the resources appear too few. Help us please to be known in this locality as individuals and corporately as a church. Please remind us that we are here as a hospital, not as a museum. We are here as a lifeboat, not as a cruise ship. And help us to be known in this community as people who care, people who have energy and resources, people who are willing to go the extra mile, people who are willing to be your hands and feet, people who are not marked by social convention, but there's a real mix amongst us because we all need your grace. And we thank you so much that your grace is sufficient and the cross is sufficient for each one of us that we all receive a new start, thanks to King Jesus. Please, I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know what that means. Please, will you not let them rest until you've drawn them to yourself, I pray. Amen.